Father in heaven, we give you thanks for all the many blessings you give us. We come from this wonderful weekend of thanksgiving for what our early country's fathers did and how they went through so much turmoil and strife and difficulties and loss of life. They still took time and gave thanks to you, God, for providing for them and bringing them through. And we give you praise for all these blessings you give us and also for what we were reminded here of this beautiful hymn that we can rejoice over the salvation that you brought to earth for us and for all men through the centuries, the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name, we give these gifts to you. Before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we're so grateful for what you have done for us. And today, Lord, again, we think about all those wonderful pilgrims who came to this country to settle it and change their lives, that they were free to worship as they wanted and to enjoy the wonderful blessings you have for them. And also bring the gospel to this new world, as the Mayflower Compact says so well evangelize those who are without you, Christ, in this new world. We thank you for that basis, Lord, for our country, and we just pray that that would be brought to the minds of many of the individuals who lead this country. They understand that, and as they walk into Constitution Hall and as they look into the uh, dome, at, at, uh, Lord, that they see the wonderful pictures that portray and illustrate the power of the gospel throughout Washington, D.C., and that stretches throughout the world. We pray also to Father God <clears throat> for the challenges ahead of our church as we move to a new denomination. I just pray that you'll give wisdom to us as we lead, as we guide, and as we stand for our convictions. We pray also, too, for those who are struggling uh, with health problems in our midst. Lord, we think of Lucille, we think of Kay, we think of uh, Mary, we think of Joyce and the struggles that they have with their health. And we pray also, too, for Don, who's going to have surgery on his back, uh, on his knee this week. And also, too, Lord, for Betty, for continued healing for her leg. And I want to pray also, too, for Sharon, a friend of mine who uh, is having her uh, 
pacemaker removed and a new one put in. I just pray that everything goes smoothly, that she'll have a better outcome than the last time of having a stroke. We pray for complete and total healing for her. We pray also, too, Lord, for Ryan and, and Jordan and for uh, Eric and Ricky and Mitch as they battle their addictions. I just pray for strength for them and for the ability to look to you, Christ, for their victory and for their strength in doing so. We pray also for a friend of Bill's, um, Judy, who's battling cancer, and for a dad, Allie's dad, as he battles with his cancer, for Doug, who's coming out of uh, COVID and that he leads the Union Rescue Mission, Lord, the many souls that he touches. I just pray that you bless him and his workers. And Father God, there's other things on our mind. We think of people who are struggling with their marriages. I think of others who are struggling with uh, problem children. Uh, Lord, just be with them, Lord. Guide them, help them to work in the power of the Holy Spirit and lovingly to help bring about the change in their hearts. And now, Father God, as we come before you and as we come to your word, Lord, speak to our hearts. Give us something that we need to hear today, that we need to change, that we need to work on in our heart or something that we need to believe. You know our hearts, Father. You know what we need. Bring it to us, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. 2006, CNN reported of a fellow by the name of Wilfredo Garzera, who, after 35 years as an illegal alien or migrant, immigrant, he just eked out a living, and he went back and forth across to Mexico occasionally to be with family and friends. And he was caught by the border control, patrol several times, making his way in here. And the cycle continued for 35 years. And then one day, incredibly, he got tired. He went to an immigration lawyer, and lo and behold, he found out even though for years he looked over his shoulder, was worried about that knock on the door to come and take him, his father's birth certificate survived and showed that he had work records and he actually was a citizen. And here, for 35 years, he lived with guilt and fear, constantly looking over his shoulder, waiting for him to get arrested. But in all reality, he was a citizen of the United States. And he had the rights and privileges of all American citizens. And today, the reason I tell this story is because there are a lot of Christians who make a profession of faith, who attend church, who work on their faith in the church, they read the Bible. They still wonder if they're saved. They still wonder if they were to die tonight that they would go to heaven and not to hell. Because you see, they don't know that they can know that they have eternal life. There's a variety of teachings out there in our world today that tell people, even in the Christian faith, that they can't be sure. But this is not the message that John brings us in his great book of 1 John. That we can know for certain that if we were to die tonight, we can know that we are going to heaven and that we have Jesus Christ in our hearts, that we're in relationship with him and that we have this assurance. A lot of people in the world don't have that. They even go to church and Sunday school. They miss out on it. 
And John here is dealing with this in 1 John chapter 5. He wants to make it sure through this whole book that we are assured and that we know. Now the Gnostics came along and they tried to put fear in the people's hearts and they didn't listen and they wound up saying that your mind and your body are two different things, that you can continue to sin and it's going to be all right as long as your mind's right. And John says, no. He said that we also need to admit that we're sinners and that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who represents us and can bring us safely to the other side. And that we can know for certain that we belong to Jesus Christ by the way we live our lives. He said, number one is the moral test, that you obey God. You have this desire in your heart to obey him, even though you may slip and fall at times and you may stumble over sin. The second test is a social test, that you, have a, you love the brotherhood, that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And third is a doctrinal test, that you trust that Jesus Christ came into the world as man and also as God, which the Gnostics wanted to disavow, which was the very thing of which we get our assurance from. And that we abide in this Christ. And that we can be conquerors. Uper Nike. Remember those words? Nike means triumphant. And overwhelming means uper. So uber Nike. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And we have this assurance. But now John wants to get personal with us. And we as Christians who love the Lord. And who live for Christ. We have certain responsibilities in our life. And there are certain things that go on in our world that we've got to be aware of. First thing we see is restoration. We need to be restorers. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. And there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that you should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. Now John is speaking here to us about a brother or sister who we see. We all know we have the three enemies. John's talked about it earlier. We have the enemy of the world. The world system that continues to hammer us and fill us with all kinds of things that we don't have what we want and we need to get it from them. And that's the advertising world and the world that continues to tell us that we need more. And the Bible here says this world system continues to work on us, but that we can conquer it. We can overcome it. The device is leading an unbeliever to sin. These things tell us that we're not in if we don't do these sins. That's the world continuing to hammer us. Then there's also the problem of our flesh. We have this old man inside of us until the day we die and we go to heaven that continues to want these things that the world offers to us. And that we're tempted by them. And then we also have a living, breathing devil. But he has as many minions around. He's not omnipresent. He can't, doesn't have omnipotence. But he can tempt us. Just like he did Jesus. And he comes with his demons sometimes personally to us. And he tempts us and lures us into doing things against God. And Satan needs permission. His demons need permission in order to do anything to us or to even allow to tempt us. We see this in Peter's life. When Jesus tells him that he is going to be sifted by Satan because God wanted to grow Peter so that he needed to realize that Peter couldn't real stand on his own without Christ. He needed Christ to conquer Satan. And Peter always thought that he had the strength 
in himself. He was a very A-type personality guy. And he didn't realize how powerful this could be. And that's why Jesus tells him in Luke 2, 22, that you're going to be tempted. And so we see this in how he falls. And yet Jesus said to him, I prayed for you, though, so that your faith remains strong. He still had the faith in Jesus, but he was testing. And, and on those everyday things, he thought he had the power to do it. And Jesus said, you need to be refined. And that's what God does. He refines Peter and he sifts him at the cross. And he sifts him by his being restored by Jesus at the, at the lake. And we see this all through the Bible. There are people who commit, commit sins and transgressions of the law. And they are unrighteous in sin. We stumble ourselves. But there are certain sins that are death worthy in the Bible. Hmm. We see, for instance, Nabab and Abinadu were the two sons of Aaron, the priest, who wind up dying because of their deliberate disobedience to God. We see Korah and her clan opposed to God and they die. We see Achan, who loses his whole clan because of his disobedience. Uzziah, who touches and holds up the ark when it's falling, he dies. And we sit there and we wonder why God. And God has a purpose in it all so that we understand that we're to be obedient. And there are times we stumble, but there are certain sins that are against God that cause death and even sickness, as James says. We see it with Ananias and Sapphira, who early on in the New Testament church, they lied to Peter. And they lied to God and the Holy Spirit, and they were taken out. And this whole process is described in chapter 12 of us be able to stop ourselves and not to come under judgment, but to confess our sin and be free of it. When you rebel and continue to rebel against God, God will cause things to happen if you're his child. He chastens us. And you see, there's a question about what is this death, this sin leading to death? Some people think it's the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. That is, it's just pushing God away, apostasy, and saying that I don't believe. Some believe it warrants death like suicide, murder, and adultery. We see, see that here in the, in, in, in the Old Testament. But what God is saying here today, he says, if you see somebody sinning, if you see somebody in the act of sin, we are responsible to restore this person, this person who is walking off the path. We're to go to them and be willing to restore them. I know in situations in my own life, the ministry restoration is difficult because sometimes you run into people who don't want to be restored. They're loving their sin and they get very angry at you for pointing out anything wrong in what they're doing. But a Christian believer realizes that some sin can be fatal and that we go and warn those and we come to them confessing our own sins and that we know we're sinners, but we want to help them. You see, Cain said to God after he killed Abel, and God questioned him, he says, am I my brother's keeper? Christians, we are our brother's keeper. When we see them falling into sin, we are to call them back. We are to draw them back and have the Holy Spirit go to them and speak to them in a loving but firm way. We're not saying that nobody sins. Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. We have all these great names. And yet, 
They were sinners just like us. For instance, David committed adultery and then murder. We have Moses who committed murder. We have Samson who, who did things that were wrong and sinful. And then at the end, he, in his anger, commits suicide. And yet, he's listed among the household of faith in the, Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You see, there's a sin unto death, yes. And it leads to death. And people don't understand it, and we don't really understand fully, but it's a rejection of God in doing what He wants and continue to push Him out of our lives. And we know as even faithful believers, sometimes we do stumble and sin. But we also have the Holy Spirit that comes to work in our hearts. You see, the sin that God does not put up with is the continual rejection of Him and His Word. When we do that, we're really dangling in a dangerous area. When we push away the conviction of sin in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we know better, there's a serious issue there. And that we understand that we are to be able to go to our brothers and sisters who are struggling in their faith. And what we need to do is to help restore them back. Now, the sad part about it is a lot of times there is immature believers who fail and that what happens is there's sometimes they rejoice over people who are failing and not help them. They become talkers. One of the saddest things in the church happens. Pat Tillman played for the NFL. And he was becoming a very big star in the NFL, but when 9-11 hit, Pat Tillman dropped his uniform with the NFL and went to the armed forces. And what he did is um, in Afghanistan, in a firefight um, in Afghanistan, he was shot and killed. One of the prominent football players in, in those days. And the Pentagon ruled that he was shot by friendly fire. And that was, so one of the allies evidently mistook a target and they wound up shooting him and they found that Pat Tillman was killed by one of the Allied Forces bullets. Now this happens in the church. And we have loved ones who maybe stumble and fall in sin. That sometimes it's easy to talk about them or pile on them than rather help them. And John said this should never happen. He said when we see somebody falling into sin and going A-W-O-L, we need to go to that brother and sister and love them and care for them and provide for them. Not talk about them. Not hurt their cause, but to restore them. Stephen Olfer spoke about a pastor who another pastor was jealous of. And what he did is he began at the end of his pastor's career began to insult and speak bad of him and tell all kinds of wrong stories, false stories about this pastor ruining his reputation. And when one of his friends found out that that's what was going on, he went to the brother and confronted him, and the pastor finally admitted that he was jealous of this other pastor. He said, now we need to go to see the pastor, and you need to admit what you've done. And that pastor went with the other pastor. And they saw this older pastor who now had been left the ministry. He was retired. And the pastor came to him and he apologizes. I was wrong. I was jealous of you. And he admitted all that he had done. 
And he said, would you forgive me? He said, I've already forgiven you a long time ago. Because Jesus has forgiven me for all my sin. He said, but what I want you to do, he said, I want you to open up a pillow with feathers in it and pull out the feathers. And I want you to go to everybody in that you've talked in this community and other pastors, and I want you to put several feathers in front of their doorstep so that you can later on go back and pick up those feathers. And the pastor said, I can't do that. I'll never, they'll never be there. They'll be gone. This is Kansas. They'll blow away. He said, you know what? You're right. He said, I want you to remember that I've forgiven you. But you know what? You can never retract what you said about me. And that pastor was truly sorrowful for what he had done to that other pastor. You see, it needs strength for us to be able to come to somebody and help restore a relationship of brokenness. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, 1, Brothers, sisters, if someone you know is overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves that you do not get tempted in the same way. B.J. Thomas became a Christian late in life. One of his last songs he wrote was Home Where I Belong. It was part of his Christian journey. But during his life of a new Christian, he still remained in the secular world, writing music for the secular world and only had a few pieces left that he made out of this Christianity. And he was invited to a Christian concert. And he began to sing all his songs from the 80s. And they booed him. In this Christian concert, these Christians booed him. And he was very broken, so much so that he left the stage. Didn't even finish his last song, which was Home Where I Belong, which was his Christian song. And he was broken. He was hurt by his own brothers and sisters in Christ. But his church, his pastor, the elders and the deacons came around him and restored him and strengthened him and encouraged him. And then he wound up dying not long after that and went to heaven to be with the Lord. And what John says to us here, folks, is that when you see somebody stumbling, number one, make loving observations. Let the love of Christ abide in your heart and know that this person needs restoration and strength and encouragement. Don't listen to the gossip. Don't listen to false teaching. But hear the truth and see it in that person. See the good qualities within that person. And then secondly, pray for them. Go into intercession and pray for that brother or sister that is stumbling and going through difficult times. There's prayer praise, there's thanksgiving prayer, there's confession prayer, but there's also intercession prayer where you intercede for this brother and sister that is struggling. And then what we do from there is we go to them. And we gently restore them and encourage them to be honest with themselves, to see their own sin. And then the goal of the process is to restore them. And that we need to go with humbleness, removing the, 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 the log in our own eyes and being humble and drawing this out of them so that they can be free. We need each other to see our faults, our sins, that we're sometimes blind to. 
And the Bible says in Proverbs that if you rebuke a wise man, he will love you. It will be very encouraging for them. And we can see beyond our blind spots. I used to have a friend. You know, it's amazing when you see somebody restored to a close relationship with Jesus after they stumbled and fell. It's a beautiful thing. I used to go up on here on 119th Street to a friend by the name of Drew. And he would take cars that I would buy and he would fix them up. Sandy had a beautiful Avalon. I had a beautiful uh, Honda Accord that were wrecked cars. And he would take them and he refixed them and restore them. They were very low mileage, brand new cars, and they were beautiful and they ran well for us. They were brand new. And he restored them. Then he would take a car that we find somebody's born that was a junker. And he would go through it and redo it and put a new engine in it. One of the cars I know that he did, he put it at Barrett Jackson and made a lot of money because it was beautiful. Here was a car that was bought for like $3,000 when it was new. Became worth over 125000 after he restored it because he done a beautiful job with it. And that's what happens with when you restore somebody who's in life who's in trouble. What a wonderful thing they become, a beautiful gem to God. And you see, John wants us to see that as brothers and sisters, and he wants us to know. Look what he says. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. So we don't keep on this perpetual sinning, and that's because one of the reasons is because we come along by side of our brother and sister and remind them. But then if the, we find that this Jesus, it says here, God protects you and me in the times of temptation. If we trust him, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And that we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. So John now here is telling us how wonderful we have it in the security of Jesus Christ. If we trust him and we keep in touch with him, nothing can touch us. You know, it's amazing to me. But if you think about the days when you were first married and some of the things, the silly things you used to fight over. Can you remember those things? Maybe they didn't rinse off the dishes or maybe the way you put the toilet paper in the rack or snoring or you think about some of the other things that you did that maybe your partner didn't like like putting down the thermostat at night when they wanted to warm at night. All those things that are little incidental but they're still bothersome. And John says you can know these things don't be needed to be fought over. We need to be able to hold on to the truth of God. And in the truth of God, he says, these are the basic things that we need to survive on. And we don't need to fight over these little incidental things. The basic truths. We saw this where the church got off its track and at the, the great Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, the reformers came along and said, look, the church is off the tracks. We need to get back to solace. Only scripture, only saving through Jesus Christ. Only 
following the Spirit of God, only inspired Word of God. These were the onlys. We saw the same thing happen in the 20th century today and is still affecting our, our theologies today in churches. And that is the liberalism has creeped into the church and it became saying that we don't need those fundamentals. And what we had is the conservatives came back and said, no, we need these fundamentals. Number one, the inerrancy of Scripture. The Bible is God's word. They said, no, it's not. The Bible says it is. Number two, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. This is necessary so that we can be saved for our own self because Christ needed to be God and Jesus, the human Jesus, so he could represent us. That the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that he died on the cross literally for our sins. This is not some figment of our imagination or the disciples. He substituted for you on that cross. And yet there are people who push that away. Then fourthly, the body of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ had not resurrected for us physically, then we have nothing to hold on to. But the Bible here says it. And that we believe it. That the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ were substantially historically true. And because of that, we can be free. And then finally, the little return of Jesus Christ. You see, conservative beliefs that were wiped out by the liberals came back and we fought for those and we continue to fight for them because those are the things that make us be able to know that we have eternal life. That we know Christ has come to the earth. And that we know that we have eternal life and that when we die, we don't have to be afraid. We're totally at peace with one another because the Bible says so. And the truth is that Jesus did raise from the dead. He showed himself and he made that proclamation so that we understand that our sins have been paid for and we have been given this eternal life. And you see, we have a crisis of truth today. People don't like hearing truth. People will say to me, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's not. Are you kidding me? How do you think we keep planes in the air is because we know truths about aerodynamics. I don't want to go to my doctor. When I had cancer, I didn't want my doctor to come out and say to me, well, Dave, we don't know what it is. And we can put some cream on it or we can do this. As soon as they knew that it was cancer, he said, this is what we're going to do. Tuesday morning, you're going to go to uh, Via Christi, St. Francis, and they're going to put dye in your system. And we're going to make sure that that cancer has not spread to your lymph nodes. And we may have to take out some lymph nodes. And we, don't want, we, want, to, we want to make sure that we get it all out of your stomach. That's what doctor I want. I want the doctor who tells me the truth. I want the pilot who says to me, well, I don't know what we're going to do about taking off. I'm not really clear. I think if I put it on autopilot, maybe it'll take off. I don't want that kind of pilot. I want a pilot that says, yeah, we're going to take you off and we're going to get at the end of the run. We're going to go right up in 70,000 feet. We're going to glide over there and we're going to stop down in New York and we're going to touch down. I want somebody who knows the truth and what needs to get done. And the Bible tells us we know because God has brought on his firm hand of love and truth into this word so that we can know. And the truth is that I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. 
And we need Christ's deliverance. And that that righteousness comes because of Christ. Sin can be fatal if we don't deal with it. We don't confess it. We don't come before our Father in heaven and that we will be tempted. Temptation's out there all the way. But notice what John says. We're protected if we want to give in to that. No temptation, the Bible says, is able to change you. The devil is not able to force you to do anything. Everything that the Bible says here is that he cannot force you to do anything. You know, we hear the wonderful words of Flip Wilson, the devil maybe, the devil doesn't make anybody do it. The words of Jesus Christ say, you're protected. You don't have to give yourself into any temptation. I have a hedge around you. And I'll give you the power to overcome Satan's temptation. You have a hedge of protection around you. He says it right here. We know that our God, and we know that he keeps him. And the evil one that do not touch, can't touch him. What did he say to Job? He said, Job, he's going to work you over. But I'm not going to let him do this. Satan, you can't do this to him. In the book of Revelation, it's the same thing. You can do this, but you can't do that. That's God's way of training us and growing us and deepening us. And the problem is our own flesh. We want to give in to those things. You see, the truth about Satan is in a world system that's dying. And that system doesn't have the power over us that we, if we don't allow it through Christ. You know, a church bulletin one time, the secretary made a mistake and put the song... Instead of putting our God reigns, it, she typed, had a typo and said our God resigns. God doesn't resign. All the cosmetics of our world tell us that God has resigned and he is not. He knows exactly what's going on. He's in control. And no matter what, money, position, advancement, they're all not under Satan's power, but rather under God's control. Satan will work on you in those areas. But God has the way, the final say-so. Satan is defeated foe. He's been wounded at the cross. And when he's losing the battle, he's trying to fight for us. And that he's the accuser of the brother. He's not like Dante's Inferno that says he's a little red man with a, with a pitchfork and some horns and a red tail. No, he's still wandering the earth trying to tempt us with his demons and get all of us to give up. Throw in the towel. But the Bible says, you draw to me, Jesus says, and I will help you overcome him. You see, that's the beauty of our faith. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ got on that cross and gave us power over him. He not only do we stop sinning then as we get closer to Christ, and this is John's big theme in this Bible, as we get to know Christ and we know him on a deeper level, the more incompatible sin is to our hearts. We want to practice more of honoring God rather than a sinning. We have his protection around us. And we do not belong to the evil one. The world does. There's a lot of people in the world who belong to the devil. They don't even know it. They don't even care. But the Bible says he doesn't belong to us. And when we understand that, we have power. Because we know who we believe. And he's given us the protection and the strength over that. When we believe God is true. And that he carries us. 
We're living in this pluralistic society. People believe all kinds of things about God that are not true. And perhaps we think, well, are we really losing? <laughs> Don't ever believe that. God is in control and he's allowing this stuff to go on for you and me to stand up and to be go beyond and be powerful figures in our lives and the people around us, to make an impact because we know what God wants from his word. We know he has us in his hand and that we don't have to fear and that he knows what we need to have for us in life. It's peculiar here, folks, at the end of this as believers. John doesn't end this book the way most of the New Testament writers end it. You know, they usually say grace to you and peace, Paul. Or we hear some of the other things that are said in Peter when they end their books. But look at what John says to us as believers at the end of this epistle. He says, guard yourself. Guard what? Little children, guard yourself from idols. What in the world is he talking about? Well, if you look in history, in that day, there were idols all over the place. There were household idols. There were, you go to the gym and there were idols for the gym. You go to the center of town and there was an idol there. What was the idol for? It was for the emperor, Caesar. You were to bow to that idol. Or that there was food places on the streets and there were idols there. Every place you went in that society of Rome and Thessalonica and Corinthians and Ephesus and Bithynia, all those places had these little idols. Some of them had big idols. And we can say, well, we understand why he says that, but what about us? We see it in Paul in Acts chapter 19. He preaches against the idols and says they're worthless. And what happens is he causes a riot. Because Demetrius, who made these shrines for um, Artemis, the, the god of that community, he got upset because he was going to lose his trade. He was going to fight him. And our good friend Paul winds up causing a riot and going to jail for it. And Paul says it to the Corinthians and also in John and the Revelations. Idols. You see, we have idols in our society. It's anything that takes our focus off of Christ. That could be an idol. That's why John says this. An idol is anything more important than God in your life. Anything that absorbs your heart, your imagination that God should have. John Calvin said it well. He said, the heart is an idol maker. And oh, we don't see idols like they saw in their society. But they're out there, folks. They're shrines that are made in our world to take ourselves away from God. Money is an, can be an idol. Our obsession with having things can be an idol. 
Addictions are idol makers. That's an idol unto itself. An idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Tim Keller. I want to read an interesting book who worked in the middle of New York City for 30, 40 years as a pastor. Talked about counterfeit gods was the name of the book he wrote. And he said, a counterfeit God is anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is such a controlling obsession in our hearts that we spend most of our passion and energy, our emotion and financial resources on it. On it that the second thought, without a second thought, it can be a family, it can be our children, our career, making money, our achievement, critical acclaim, saving face socially. It can be romance, relationships, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, our beauty and our brains, our political and social cause, our morality, and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry can become an idol. When your meaning in life is fixed on someone else's life, we call it in this society codependency, but it's really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say, it's your heart of hearts. If we have that, then I can feel my life is meaning, and then I know I have value then I feel significant and secure. Anything that comes in the way of God, folks. There's personal idols, family, friends, money, power. There's cultural values that we have the military power, we have the technology. All those things can become idols in our hearts, and we don't even know it. And that's why it's so important. You see, why are we so attracted to idols? They're physical. They're tangible, whereas God is intangible. They're sometimes human, and God is divine. They're able to comprehend them, where God is incomprehensible, or that they're easily manipulated, whereas with God, he's not manipulated at all. So ask yourself, I was running through this list, I read this author, and it was tremendous. He said, see if you are, have idols. Let me tell you something, very revealing. What is the most valuable thing to you? What should I, what would I be lost if I lost it, would be without it? What do I spend most of my time thinking about? What is my reason for living? What gives my life meaning and purpose? As we look at these questions, they really can get to the heart of the matter inside of our own lives. And John doesn't want us to lose sight of Christ and his importance and replace it with something so far not close to God, which is an idol. You know, we are gifted with relationships and love 
and wonderful things in this life, but they can easily, those beautiful things God gives us can easily become idols to us. It can be a child. It can be a grandchild. It can be a work. It can be anything. And we want to appreciate what God has given to us. But we don't want them to take the place of God. And when we see that and we recognize that, we need to identify it. And we need to forsake it. And that means, God, I want this to be your gift. And that we surrender it over to God. And that we guard our hearts from these worthless idols that don't even match to God. You know, that's why we need each other. We need each other as brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to see these things and recognize them and not let them dominate our lives. You see, because the Christian race is not us winning and other people losing. It's a race that we all want each other to win. That's why he talks about restoring other people. That's why he talks about things that we know to help us as we journey on and don't get caught up into this world, the flesh, and the devil. And that we realize these things can easily take away from us the pure joy of God that he gives. And that as we run the race, we help each other in it. And we're honest with each other. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says that we run the race with our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and finisher. That's how we win the race. And we need each other for it. And there was a beautiful example of this back in Spokane, Washington, at the Special Olympics, where nine children were running a race, 50 yards. And when the gun sounded off, all these Special Olympics little guys and gals started taking off. And as they got close to the finish line, one of the little gals fell and skinned her knee. And the runners on both sides of her stopped. They went back to her. And one little girl who had Down syndrome kneeled down to that little girl and kissed her knee. And you could hear her say, it's going to be all right. And then she picked her up and the other child got on the other side and picked her up. And they ran to the goal line and passed the goal line, all three of them, because of her love and concern for her friend. We're running in the same race and we need each other to love and encourage each other, to support each other through the battle we face every day as we go through it, that God gives us the glory that we can see in him every day and not be prevented from it by an idol. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for John speaking to our hearts. Because Lord, we know this world is very subtle. It's very smooth. And it's very easy to get caught into an idol or to stumble into a sin Lord, help us to have eyes that see and ears that hear and lovingly restore each other in this battle of life. 
Lord, help us to know your love and to know you more and more every day and have the strength to not fear but be overcome with love for you that we have no fear. And that as we go through this life, Lord, that we can see those things that can easily take your high spot of the authority in our lives and that you can be our Lord. Keep us from those idols, Jesus. And bless us this day. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close with our benediction and let us sing, Love Lifted Me. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen.